Welcome to Material Change. I'm Josh from Sculpture Placement Group. Material Change is a series of conversations and interviews about the relationship between the visual arts and ecology. The focus is on raw materials and processes. In these discussions, we chat to artists, designers, organisations and material researchers working in the context of the climate emergency. In this episode, we chat to Benedetta Pompili, Pompili is a social designer and ceramic researcher based in Amsterdam. Her practice is dedicated to materials and their narratives with a focus on the ecological impact of art design and industrial production. Her research aims to spread knowledge, motivate care and retrace tradition by thinking and acting intersectionally. We talk in depth about one of her key research projects that explores extractive stories of clays. Pompili worked with a polluted river clay developing processes that use treated asbestos as a filler to lessen the amount of mine clay needed. It's also connected to the region that Benedetta is from and has many ties to the social and familial history which we'll explore in this interview. We also talk about how her practice informs her work as a workshop technician at the Rijks Academy in Amsterdam and how this interconnected approach to her work might inform the everyday workings of a busy ceramic workshop. It's the confluence of these different perspectives that make Pompili's experiences and approach so interesting. We hope you enjoy it. Yeah, well, uh, as you said, I'm, uh, I'm a designer, and in particular I was trained as an industrial designer. Um, but then uh, I wanted to have a more uh, yeah, social, uh, ecological, uh, directed um, uh, practice in, within design and uh, so then I graduated in social design for my master degree at Design Academy Eindhoven um, and actually uh, the project I graduated with uh, that was also concerning extraction and clay so within the realm of ceramics led me here at Rex Academy. Um, I'm not properly a ceramic technician, I, I'm rather a tech fellow as a it is uh, properly called um, the program that I applied to and that I had uh, uh, the blessing to, to do. Uh, and yeah, well, uh, this program uh, allowed me to, uh, while working with artists and uh, um, have the chance to converse with them about uh, awareness while working with materials and in particular surrounding materials, I also have the chance to do my own research uh, which is um, partly related to what I did before and I guess what we're also uh, going to talk about. Uh, but it's also about expanding my knowledge, uh, which actually is kind of fresh in the ceramic realm. So you, you mentioned before that um, the region of Italy that you're from is known for its ceramics. So how did, how did your relationship start with that uh, material and your interest in it? Every time uh, I like to uh, mention my mother for this, uh, because since I was uh, a child, uh, we had these, um, uh, yeah, these kind of Chinese porcelain that were untouchable and uh, were other uh, ceramics, uh, much less fragile, but still, um, she was really uh, caring for them and uh, uh, even screaming in, in pain if someone was not uh, treating these uh, ceramic objects. Uh, with yeah, with uh, with care, and uh, so somehow I guess my uh, my sense of uh, my sensitivity for the material starts also from this uh, desire of uh, keeping them, of keeping the ceramic material as something precious, 
And uh, um, yes, uh, I guess this starts with the fact that in the 20s, uh, 1920s, uh, Pesaro, my hometown, uh, was uh, uh, the city where this factory, uh, Molaroni, um, that was the, the name, um, was uh, flourishing. And it was the ceramic foundry of the king, so of the royal family, uh, all that connected. And for the city itself, um, and that's why I grew um, also uh, affectionate to it, um, it was very important because it was allowing uh, multiple women to have a work, to have an employment, and um, it helped them during the war to, to keep having not only an economical entrance, uh, but also a, a social position within uh, uh, the Pesaris society. So there, there is also this connection um, uh, yeah, with the women's role uh, in the city. This background in industrial design, um, and now you sort of started working with the, some of the waste materials, or even, I mean, I guess yeah. maybe we could talk about asbestos at this point, which, but what, what drew you to thinking about that material and toxicity and uh, industrial, industrial products and waste and that, that kind of side of things? Yeah, well, I have to say that uh, well, I work with uh, uh, with treated asbest, so not with asbest untreated. Um, and I did that for my graduation project uh, for my master at Design Academy Eindhoven. And um, so I actually didn't want at all to work uh, with asbest and in general with toxic uh, or previously toxic toxic materials. Uh, it somehow naturally happened uh, for a, for a series of reasons. Um, so I was approaching uh, the ceramic world, but uh, within a more, um, I would say, contemporary lens. Uh, let's say, looking at contemporary in the sense that um, looks not only to the processes of um, which the material encounters, um, in co together with the maker, um, but also looking at where the material comes from. And what are the economical, social, geopolitical, um, geographical um, uh, links that the material um, is linked to? Uh, and in particular, uh, I wanted to uh, approach ceramics, uh, therefore, in a, let's say, non-extractive way or um, as, li as uh, less extractive as possible. And um, my solution was, uh, solution, well, my direction uh, was to uh, look into tradition or uh, let's say in um, so-called traditional techniques within ceramics and twist them uh, in order to, uh, yeah, to prevent this mining, uh, this extra mining. And one of the basic hidden techniques within ceramics is the use of fillers, which means usually adding, for example, part very small particles of um, quartz, either molochite, either uh, even ceramic, previously fired ceramic uh, pieces. Uh, these are the most common uh, types of fillers that can be mixed within the clay till usually 30, 40 percent. So their presence actually um, 
substitutes the material. And, uh, but, you know, usually these fillers come from extracted resources. So they are purposefully um, fired ceramics, purposefully mined quartz elements, uh, purposefully fired, uh, pur purposefully mined uh, molochite grains. And uh, absolutely, I didn't want that. Um, I wanted to look for what has, has been already extracted or already used and uh, source it. And um, for technical reasons, I needed something that when fired in the kiln, it resists to the temperature and stays within the material in order to substitute it and still have strength or technical uh, properties within it. And somehow, <laughs> everything I was looking into uh, within landfills, so let's say to do landfill mining, um, was uh, poisoned, uh, intoxicated uh, by asbest fibers. And therefore, it was impossible to reuse, uh, so to reopen, dig out materials and uh, reuse them for obvious uh, safety reasons. And uh, this uh, situation, uh, you have to imagine that I was doing uh, this research uh, during the pandemic, so also in terms of communication, um, uh, it was difficult uh, organization-wise. And uh, I was struck uh, by, this, uh, by this presence. Uh, by the way, actually, asbest in the West, uh, where I am based now in Europe, uh, it is uh, uh, handled uh, when fined. Uh, when it is fine. Um, and yeah, somehow I started uh, looking into what to do with it, um, how they handle it, and uh, I discovered about uh, the possibility of treating it. And I was lucky enough uh, to be in the Netherlands, where in Rotterdam uh, there is this research center called uh, Asbatter, that uh, is the, the first uh, research center in the world able to, um, at an industrial scale, uh, treat the material. And, uh, of course, what kind of treatment? Uh, because, uh, you know, if, if you want to have a certain approach to materials, I was also interested in how actually uh, the process of the treatment happens. Um, and in particular, uh, at the time, because now we changed the process, Asbetter was um, uh, reusing wasty acids from the city of Rotterdam. Um, in particular, we were reusing, uh, well, the 40% of the uh, wasty acids of, um, of the city, and uh, therefore also reusing another stream of waste for the treatment itself. And... Um, and yeah, uh, essentially through a patented process, um, uh, making the material change its physical state and becoming fiber-free. And uh, yeah, well, when I discovered about it and the fact that it was uh, a low-energy process and also reusing other type of waste, um, I was extremely interested and we were... Uh, open uh, to collaborations uh, as since they actually need um, let's say a second use to support economically also the treatment itself so actually if this byproduct of the treatment um, can have a second life uh, it's also uh, for them to keep going it's also a security of course and so we started this uh, this collaboration
and uh, yeah, I used it. Uh, I used this um, 3D asbest uh, as a filler in the clay. Yeah, what I think it will be interesting to mention is uh, uh, what I only briefly uh, touched during uh, your previous questions, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, is the way actually asbest untreated is dealt with uh, after the use. This maybe yeah can be interesting to know for you. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, to add, uh, well, qu- kind of briefly, essentially, um, when they find it, uh, usually citizens themselves have to notify it to the government. Uh, of course, I'm uh, in brackets. I, of course, I'm referring to uh, the Netherlands system, the Dutch system, uh, but it's also similar to Italy, for example. Uh, with uh, smaller differences. But essentially, usually citizens are required to notify the presence of the material um, and depending on the size, um, uh, let's say that the handling of it changes. So if it's really, really big size, you have to call uh, a company that by paying also a quite expensive yeah, I don't know how to call it, service, yeah. they remove it for you because it's too dangerous. Uh, but if the quantities are yeah, within a certain range, uh, so hand that you can handle, uh, you, since you have to wrap it and bring it to these uh, landfills uh, centers. And, they, and then they're going to take it and dig it somewhere under a hole. And... Uh, in any way, uh, the material stays toxic. This means that the fi- because the fibers are the most problematic part for the lungs, and uh, they stay there, of course, in this way. And um, essentially, uh, it stays a threat for the people that work in the landfills. But also, uh, and this was the reason that led me to work with this material uh, and to look into the treatment. Um, it prevents uh, landfill mining. So also precious resources cannot be uh, taken or reused because of uh, asbest um, there. And um, and yeah, uh, also the problem is that being such an expensive um, service, eventually, uh, most of the time is illegally disposed of, which is even a bigger problem. Uh, so yeah, uh, this is what led me to to really be interested in, in the treatment itself of the, of the asbest. It's a project that is very dependent on uh, uh, the collaboration with uh, the research center. Uh, as uh, m- very important for me was rather than uh, proposing with my project a solution or um, oh yeah, a kind of end um, ended project as it is, um, was rather to um, propose to other practitioners uh, the possibility of collaborating with, uh, within, such a, within such a frame and seeing the, the possibilities of uh, the material uh, and of these kind of uh, uh, interdisciplinary exchanges. Uh, especially when talking about making and, in my case, uh, specifically for ceramics. Um, the direction, for this reason, um, also 
maybe due to my industrial design background i i opted uh to yeah to draw uh for this let's call it um new material um um high um highly industrially um Industri highly industrial direction that uh, faces architecture mm. uh, because I think uh, this the, the possibilities the technical uh, um, uh, capabilities that uh, the treated asbest gives to the clay uh, are much more interesting in a in a high, in a large scale direction uh, in particular uh, this filler uh, gives to the clay insulating Uh, poros, um, uh, yeah, poros nature, um, and well, for this reason, but also for the lightness of it. So, in terms of transportation, um, and the fact that uh, both clay and asbest, uh, hopefully after treatment, uh, they could be uh, at, at least within Europe. Um, quite local materials are, for example, uh, in Italy uh, is full of it in every region. Um, and uh, so it's really like about um, looking at the materials itself, what it does, and let's say within the dialogue of these two uh, components together, look at something that can be um, uh, extended. So not just looking at um, at my own small project and you know, but really thinking, okay, how uh, how other makers can can have an impact uh, by sourcing this research or by collaborating uh, with this uh, research center, and what I suggest is, uh, as I say, just a suggestion. And uh, I yeah. My goal was to, and is still to, have other uh, collaborations uh, and to make this research even better throughout um, the eyes and the ends of others. So, yeah, absolutely not ended. As I said at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the interview, I was not looking for working with toxicity. It's something that naturally happened as uh, a normal. Uh, a normal state of nature, of the landscape. Uh, we don't live in a pristine paradise. Um, so, on the one hand, uh, I care to mention that uh, it's important, uh, at least within my work, to get over a romantic view over nature. So, uh, this means that nature is... Uh, either a very pure um, uh, clay body coming from an ancient shore, either uh, a river clay body uh, that contains heavy metals, um, either uh, asbest, either treated asbest. So we are talking about nature in all these cases. So this, first of all, and uh, second of all, that... Um, My inspiration in terms of uh, more kind of epistem epistemological, um, from, a, from an epistemological perspective, um, is uh, uh, Tim Ingold and uh, really looking at materials and at working with materials rather as a conversation between the maker and the material itself rather than uh, an imposition on it. Um, 
And uh, this can be seen uh, both in the way I first studied the clay body that I, I chose to use, which is a local river clay body from the River Mosa. Um, and this is very important for me to mention. Um, as well as uh, the way I, um, I see potential uh, in a combination of materials. So uh, what, I how, what are the ways I find interesting to apply, for example, uh, this clay with inside uh, this very special filler made of uh, treated asbest. Of the practicalities of day-to-day -day making your role here at, here at the Rikes um, in a more technician capacity, although I know that, that there is obviously a research uh, element to that, what, what you think could make an impact on the, the more sort of ecologically friendly or sustainable practices within arts institutions in that way. Um, so, yeah, I guess what, what have you kind of found of, yeah, with, 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 the, with the, the mind and philosophy that you have that, that underpins your approach to your own creative practice, what, what have you found in, in, in others as you kind of like see, see it happening and facilitate it happening, I suppose? In the end, uh, what counts, at least for me, is to uh, really impact uh, someone else's vision or someone else's practice and uh, as well as getting inspired by it and merge our own visions together for uh, a word that I really don't like, but uh, that uh, is understandable for everybody, for sustainability uh, aims. Um, as I believe that to make, uh, as you can be an artist, you can be a designer, doesn't matter. Um, uh, you can do that uh, in an aware way and uh, you can obtain uh, different results, of course, uh, but uh, within um, a more ecological uh, um, practice. And then what I noticed uh, within institutions, uh, also previously during my studies, is that uh, there is a bit this... Um, um, belief which is kind of uh, embedded within the workshops um, which is that the work itself the idea itself uh, as, doesn't matter what are the consequences the idea, the maker, the designer, the artist are always uh, over the rest so that's the most important part to realize, to make um, and that's what I, bit I touched before. Uh, I believe that you can still do care for the work and do realize ideas, but that you can do that uh, within a conversation, having a conversation, a dialogue, um, let's say, about the overall possibilities and the overall consequences of your choices. And I, I'm sure, because I see it every day while I work, that... To know that makes a difference because sometimes it's really a matter of uh, just having a chat and saying, oh, you know, you can you can do this, you can you can do this glaze, you can obtain this very shiny effect, uh, but it contains maybe lead. You can do the same. It's a bit less shiny, uh, but it it can work. Maybe can you look at it? There is no lead inside. 
So, I mean, it's them. Someone else can, can choose. I still want to use the LED and I'm gonna work with it in a certain way. It's gonna have a certain durability and a certain uh, um, uh, after use direction. And I'm aware that I have to dispose of it in a certain way. Uh, either they can choose, ah, sure, why not? To me, it doesn't make so much of a difference, actually, that is a bit less, uh, yeah. This was uh, a silly example. Uh, but sometimes it's really just about communicating things. And uh, that's, why, that's why for me it's important to work in a workshop, because you can learn about all these basic small things that... Uh, when you start making, you don't know. You simply don't know them. And you will take some time, and quite some time and energy to dig into them. So I think that workshops within institutions should facilitate this communication. And then, of course, or even if there is interest on the other side, suggest, uh, well, you know, maybe you can check this if you're interested in this, etc. So yeah, that's why I find uh, very important actually to work within a workshop and work with craftsmen and craftswomen and in general people that work with uh, with materials. Also because uh, I think that um, usually within art and design, especially um, environmentally related, uh, we often talk about uh, how to be more ecological, how to waste less, etc., etc. But then in practice, um, these are uh, very nice words that uh, need them to be applicable in small uh, or big local situated um, uh, places, in real places. And that's what makes me much more interested, actually, to have a practical day-to-day uh, person-to-person -day, uh, -person, uh, speaking about what is possible to do. And can be literally just to change uh, the sink's filter or uh, very small things. But then at the end of the year, uh, they really make a difference. So I really like that too. And it's very important for me. So how have you found those conversations um, that you've had? Yeah, so uh, with artists uh, um, or designers, um, there is always uh, a lot of openness. And uh, I find that rather inspiring and um, um, kind of washed away my, my cynicism uh, about it. Um, so I really don't uh, support who says that artists don't work hard to, within an environmental direction or that uh, they are, you know, uh, for art you can do everything that you want, uh, epoxy the floor, whatever you want. Uh, because I know the people and I met them every day and I know that they do care. Um, so in general these conversations are very open and relaxed and um, uh, sometimes they don't go in the direction you want in the sense that they, in the end they make a choice and the choice is I'm going to keep with my own practice and uh, in, within my choices uh, this environmental side uh, doesn't match because I really want this effect and in those cases I mean uh, I 
on the one hand, uh, there are, a conversation has happened. This person is, uh, this artist or designer, is aware uh, of the consequences of uh, a certain uh, choice, uh, both in terms of uh, ecological results, but also in terms of artistic results. Uh, but I have to say that the majority of the cases is very like, yeah, like they don't see why uh, to have kind of similar results. Um, you cannot pick a more uh, yeah suitable uh, to the times, so let's say, uh, needs in terms of uh, uh, ecology. So this is my overall experience. Uh, with artists and designers. With, uh, uh, I have to say that within workshops and craftsmen, that's more difficult. Uh, you have to think also about the age of, uh, of, of the people that I encountered. Uh, these are people that run workshops for years. So they know how things are, are done and they know uh, other people doing the same. So they have all the, of course then the dialogue becomes really about um, being knowledgeable about what you talk about and being very honest and sincere when you actually don't know, like, uh, certain, yeah, from uh, from the sink to the filter under the sink to the, to the electricity to the double glass in the window because that's what a person that works and pays bills and runs uh, workshops with people cares about. Um, but uh, I have to say that um, that's also a matter of communicating. So what I notice is that they, um, if they see, especially in a younger generation, care, uh, we do um, appreciate it. Uh, and it's a very um, uh, pleasurable, uh, really also, uh, uh, it's a conversation where you you can know a lot more about every time is you discover something new, which is amazing. Um, and in my experience, uh, becomes a, a precious, uh, good conversation with good consequences also for the, um, uh, let's say, a more environmental direction of uh, certain choices within the workshop when uh, there is humility and humbleness uh, on both sides. So it really the desire is not to say to someone how to run things, rather to find together um, or to think together about um, how to get things better. And if not, why it's not possible. So to have a very plain, uh, even conversation about it. That's what's um, most important, I guess, not to arrive there. Uh, I am the designer and uh, I have this position and I'm telling you what to do. I think like we talked about there touches on some interesting things. I think like for me, the sort of material reality as in like the economic material reality of a situation as somebody Absolutely. running a workshop is so dictated by the market and, and other sort of fabricators of spoken to have found this they they struggle with uh, with the reliability or familiarity with a, a lot more eco-friendly uh, materials I mean often that is the nature of the materials I mean like for example yeah. you know, mycelium 
you know that might respond in in in, in ways because it, it's an organism I mean, and there's not um, access to it on the on the market in terms of like a product um, that's readily available like you can't go and get it from you know, get it from the shop or a bag of a bag of it from the shop or whatever yeah um, and that the way materials and like the work that you're doing is that stage of what happens when it reaches the market is it are these things in opposition to the market um, as well I think like that for me is an interesting question yeah it is I mean and uh, actually this to reply to this question uh, I relink myself to those dialogues that I had with the uh, actual makers and uh, people that run workshops. Uh, this is mostly the problem. So that um, uh, why um, abandoning a market that has already settled prices and has a kind of a certain reliability? Because if you work, um, unless you work, for example, to make mycelium, uh, and to create products out of it, uh, you want a certain um, a certain certainty, let's say, to obtain these materials in time and to be able to work with them uh, either for yourself, either for others. Uh, this is problem number one. So uh, the possibility of uh, accessing these materials easily uh, and. Second of all, and this is overall the biggest uh, issue, uh, the durability. Because, and this is uh, a kind of a very interesting uh, uh, point of view, which we may discuss. And uh, yeah, maybe, uh, I don't know if it's something that uh, has to be uh, changed in a future, so to go more towards uh, temporary kind of materials. Uh, because the problem, yes, as I said, the problem is the durability. Uh, you know that if you work with a bioplastic, of course, it's going to have a, a much shorter lifespan uh, compared to um, yeah, the already mentioned epoxy, for example. And of course, we also with different results. Uh, if you think that... Uh, we took so many years to just develop an epoxy that doesn't uh, uh, get yellowish in time. So for some uh, areas of knowledge, uh, it is actually fundamental to have a certain, um, yeah, to, to have an, a material that can keep itself as it is in time. If we think about science, um, because makers also do realize uh, samples and uh, objects uh, science related um, or for example if you think about art uh, when you acquire something you acquire it and you spend a certain amount of money also depending on the fact that you can actually keep that artwork and that it's going to last in time and therefore its uh, economical uh, value will, will grow and uh, not on the opposite, that this material is going to disintegrate in five, ten years. So this is a big, uh, uh, a big aspect of it. Uh, and 
I don't know. In some cases, we could say that it's something that needs to shift. Um, so to look uh, at a certain art practices and uh, at certain uh, desired outcomes and say and purposefully say, I want this to be temporary. Uh, but I do believe that these new materials, uh, I mean, uh, for now at least, uh, will do good by shifting within these specific practices and um, substituting partly the old, reliable, durable materials. Um, but it's really, I think it's something that you cannot dictate from above yeah as something that has to has to burn within uh, a certain uh, a certain work of an artist or a designer and uh, yeah choosing to have seasonal artworks or uh, seasonal buildings um, if you think about installations or art fairs this could be just this is just something um, um Maybe a silly, a silly thing to say, but if you think about installations or art first, etc., uh, it's after them so much material is uh, very durable and good material actually is left out, and uh, you have to find ways to either sell it out, either uh, dispose of it somehow. <laughs> very sadly, so you see, depends. I think that. Uh, we are very used to think in a certain way within, cer with, within uh, making, but I do believe that these new materials, uh, with honesty, that's very important, not proposing themselves as overall solutions, but on, on the opposite, as very specific um, uh, options within a certain event, within a certain practice, could really make a difference. But yeah, yeah. Um, that's my a bit my position over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's like it's quite exciting to think about. The, I mean, we're talking about the immaterial. Now. We're talking about yeah. the material. Material. Um, I mean, I think it'd be so good if if it were. I don't know. Or this would be one proposition. It would be like <laughs> you know, these art fairs are like a closed circle of materials, and so the materials that are used can then be repurpose broken down into their composite like material basis yeah. and then used in other words. or artists are given a certain like quantity of materials they can be used they have this lifespan but they can then be do you know what I mean so the yeah. the, the value the value shifts I think that could I mean that's just like just some speculative kind of thinking on, on it yeah, I mean, it's not really speculative. Already uh, several studios do approach installation design uh, in this direction, like purposefully making uh, an installation in such a way that everything that you use at the end of the event, for example, can be dismantled and fully given back to, um, yeah, to whoever is uh, uh, giving you the materials or uh, yeah. the elements. Um, so it's actually it's possible but uh, um, it requires more work of course yeah. because it's something that we are not used to and especially uh, who organizes 
uh, yeah, these kind of solutions is used to do things in a different way. I, I would say that sometimes the biggest problem is actually this, to be used to, to be used to something. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I see like two two issues that I think come up with it is one obviously the collectors and the, yeah if we're to assign value on yeah. these one off one of one of pieces that you know uh, uh, often can be can be seen as excess or, or luxury or you know that kind of um, absolutely you know perspective on on, on art um, so there's that which is huge um, because <laughs> yeah. that often dictates a lot of yeah. the large it's a societal uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. change yeah and the other I've forgotten <laughs> one is that I think this this is specific to to the visual to, to the visual artists I think that um, artists will worry that the work that they're making if they approach it in this in this ecologically minded way that the meaning of the work will strictly be around that and that says a lot about where we're at in terms of um, how we think about this stuff because it's not always present and that it feels like to make to make these choices to make ecological minded choices is such a big shift that then it becomes that's what's predominantly talked about the work and so Anyway, but I really don't know many of these artists. No, like in the sense that, well, I, I mean, it's not that I am working here for decades and I can say that actually, so erase that. But um, within my experience, uh, with my short experience, um, I it's rather the opposite, mm. like that that becomes an extra le an extra positive layer mm. um, for the artwork itself which I mean um, it's very nice that you can do something uh, uh, ecologically em uh, environmentally driven uh, although at the same time but this is a very utopian position and uh, a bit radical as I am maybe often on these topics. Um, I believe that what is important is that the people that work in the workshops, that's why I really work towards that, do that for everybody. Like that it's a practice in the workshop. It's a way of working that elevates the work of everybody. Therefore, Sure, it's important to be mentioned the uh, sustainable-driven uh, force uh, be behind the surface of the work, although um, doesn't have, as you say, to overshadow it or to be um, doesn't have to, or either it can be. I mean, depends on on the artist or designer practice, but I do believe it has to be something. Yeah, what I want to say is something within it that doesn't even have to be mentioned because you know that the makers and the workshops 
do study and research and apply materials in a certain way that is respectful towards mm. that's like to me something so basic even to mention but I, I do believe so and uh, the fact that nowadays uh, to do something ecological let's say or to do new work between brackets new materials is something that actually gives uh, voice or elevates something it's really something that is i believe within our era era within our age and by time hopefully this is going to be something given for granted like something that as policies like that to to do something you need a certain Uh, amount of max energy and if you want to go over it or CO2 let's say impact and if you want to go over it you really have to yeah to propose a very detailed very well justified plan that's how I believe how things should go but at a certain point we will have to do that and if things can keep going as they are now we will have to so all this is gonna It's got, this bubble is going to explode. I believe in the future. It's going to be something, yeah, normal. Yeah. I, I do consider normal to, <laughs> to do so, actually. To, do, to think in the best way, also for the environment. But, I mean, just because we are not separated, we are so intrinsically connected, it's fundamental. So, yeah.